Hi. So I'm just back here. This is just a second part because the, 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 the lecture got cut off. So I was talking about the film that Lakey Stanfield was in, Sorry to Bother You, uh, as an example of satire. Most definitely is. Um, and so I think one worth, well worth looking at, just like uh, Knives Out is. Um, uh, yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a form that I think allows for uh, a lot of flexibility, but again, I would say one of the harder forms to write. Yeah, because when it's not on point, uh, it can really fall flat very quickly. Uh, so I'm just going to mention again, it's a form, a genre of literature and performing arts uh, in which vices, follies, abuses, and shortcomings are held up to ridicule ideally with the intent of shaming individuals, corporations, government, or society itself into improvement. So uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, Borat, his two Borat films, definitely fall into this category. Very, very broad satire from uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, although satire is usually meant to be humorous, but not always is humorous, its greater purpose is to offer constructive social criticism using wit to draw attention to both particular and wider issues in society. A uh, feature of satire, very strong irony and sarcasm. Uh, but there's also parody, as I mentioned before, the exaggeration, as I also mentioned before, the idea of the burlesque, um, you know, sort of burlesquing something, uh, strong juxtapositions, uh, a lot of double entendre. Uh, and of course, there's uh, satire in so many different kinds of expressions. I'm going to talk a little bit about the etymology of the word. So the word satire comes from the Latin, um, meaning satur, full, and lanx, meaning miscellany or medley. So literally, lanx satur, satura, a full dish of various kinds of fruits. So this idea of the miscellaneous, the grab bag, the magpie, central to satire, it's coming from a lot of different directions to make its points. And I think that that's, even from the etymology of the word, you start to see uh, how the form kind of develops. Um, the word satura uh, in Roman times, that's a Latin word, so the Roman times was a, uh, was the category for verse satire, so poetic satire that was written in hexameter form, uh, and later uh, that sort of translated to other forms of satire. I mentioned Aristophanes in terms of old comedy and farce, uh, and 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 I would say Lysistrata falls under both farce and satire. Once that's why the forms tend to merge, although they're not entirely synonymous. Um, the first critic to use the term satire uh, was Apollius in the Roman times. So, so like uh, other forms of drama, uh, the naming of the form is coming from the outside and not from the makers themselves. So, so somebody outside the form is sort of looking at it and going, aha, this is satire. 
Um, it started as a purely literary form, uh, but obviously it didn't stay there. And of course, we know this from the Greek satyr plays, the satire, the satirist, the satirist plays, um, the plays that happened after the tragedy, right? That kind of took that same plot and in, and in a half hour or 20 minutes kind of made fun of it, right? The satyr plays, as you could say, are uh, very much satires. Uh, but so I'm just going to move forward in my notes. So just to say that, um, yes, I just wanted to re reinforce this, which is that not all satires are funny. Uh, it's not an essential component of satire. Satire tends to fall under the rubric of comedy, uh, but it's not exclusive to comedy as a form. Uh, Tartuffe, uh, Moliere's play, is a satire, uh, um, and it's uh, looking at hypocrisy and religion. Um, but I would say that that play is not essentially a comic play. Um, it has comic elements, for sure. Um, but it's not necessarily meant to be funny at all times. So that's not, it's, it's not always lighthearted, in other words. And it's not always designed to make people laugh, even though it may be amusing. Um, it's a form of understanding, this form of writing is a form of understanding society. Right. So it tends to be a form that's fairly uh, using elements of, of uh, recognizable culture, uh, tapping into stuff that audiences will recognize. Uh, it's satirizing existing things, usually existing sort of structures. Um, an insight into collective psyche, revealing revealing deep deep values and tastes and structures of power. I think that satire is mostly about looking at structures of power. Um, historically, satire tends to ridicule leading figures in politics, the economy, religion, and other realms. Uh, it confronts public discourse and the collective imaginary and serves as a challenge, right? It's a, it's a challenging form. It's a provocative form. Um, it's a form that's there to expose problems and contradictions, uh, not necessarily to solve them. Uh, confronting public discourse is the realm of satire. Um, and as such, it has a kind of special license um, to sort of ridicule. Uh, and the idea of the uh, looking at repressive elements of society. So that's sort of where satire kind of has its strongest, uh, is a strong weapon against that. Uh, the state of political satire in any given society reflects the tolerance or intolerance that characterizes it and the state of civil liberties and human rights. So under dictatorships, 
satire is suppressed, right? Because satire usually mocks, ridicules, exposes political systems. So in a totalitarian state, you know, that will not be done, right? So satire tends to disappear and, have, and plays have to be written in a very coded fashion because they're interpret satire is interpreted uh, literally by totalitarian regimes and doesn't allow for uh, mockery. Um, it is a very difficult genre to classify because there are so many modes that exist in. Uh, and it traces so far back from the days of uh, the Romans uh, and the history of theater. So in the history of theater, there's always been a conflict between engagement and disengagement on politics and relevant issues, between satire and grotesque, and jest and teasing. So uh, you could say is that, you know, is it biting at the hands that feed them, or is it uh, kind of playing soft? One of the great satirical playwrights was the Italian playwright Dario Fo. Dario, D-A-R-I-O, Fo, F-O. Um, and, and this is one of the ways that he defined the difference between the satirical and the teasing. Uh, Fo said, uh, teasing is the reactionary side of the comic. It's a shallow parody of physical appearance. And I would argue that a lot of the stuff that you see on Saturday Night Live, for instance, is really shallow parody and teasing, not real satire. Uh, the side effect of teasing is that it humanizes and draws sympathy for the powerful individual towards which it's directed. Satire instead uses the comic to go against power and its oppressions. It has a subversive character and a moral dimension which draws judgment against its targets. Dario Faux formulated an operational criterion to tell real satire from mere teasing, saying that real satire arouses an outraged and violent reaction, and that the more they try to stop you, the better the job is that you're doing. Dario Fo also contended that historically people in positions of power have welcomed and encouraged good nature buffoonery, while modern-day people in positions of power have tried to censor, ostracize, and repress satire. Types of satire can also be classified according to the topics that it deals with, uh, politics, religion, and sex, and usually topics that are taboo. Uh, what is considered elements of blue comedy, off-color humor, and um, sexual jokes. The clergy is often a topic of satire. Religious satire has a long history. Scatology has a long association with satire as well. The grotesque, the grotesque body, and the satiric grotesque. So, uh, defecation plays a fundamental role in satire because it symbolizes death. Uh, and often satire, satirical comparisons of individuals with human excrement opposes their inherent inertness, corruption, 
and dead-likeness. Um, satire about death overlaps with what is called gallows humor. Another classification by topic is the distinction between political satire, religious satire, and satire, satire of manners. Political satire is sometimes called topical satire. Satire of manners is sometimes called satire of everyday life. And religious satire is sometimes called philosophical satire. Comedy of manners, ah, there's that form, sometimes also called satire of manners, criticizes a mode of life of common folks. Political satire usually aims at the behavior of politicians and political systems. His comedy of manners first appeared actually in Britain in 1620 and uncritically accepted the social code of the upper classes. Comedy in general accepts the rules of the social game while satire subverts them. That's an interesting distinction, so we'll mention it again. Comedy in general accepts the rules of the social game, while satire subverts them. Another analysis of satire is the spectrum of possible tones, wit, ridicule, irony, sarcasm, cynicism, the sardonic, and the invective. The type of humor that deals with creating laughter at the expense of the person telling the joke is called reflexive humor. A reflexive humor could take place at dual levels of directing humor at the self or at the larger community the self identifies with. Satire is found, of course, not only in written forms, but also in preliterate cultures, in ritual and folk forms, trickster tales, and oral poetry. It also, of course, appears in graphic arts, music, sculpture, dance, cartoons, and graffiti, data sculptures, pop art, uh, punk music, rock music, stand-up comedy, mass media, and so forth. Uh, so I'm gonna sort of jump forward a little bit here in terms of the history of satire, just to mention some things. So in medieval Arabic poetry included the satiric genre, Isha. Satire was introduced into Arabic prose literature by al-Jahiz in the 9th century. While dealing with serious topics, um, al-Jahiz introduced a satirical approach based on the premise that however serious the subject under review, it could be made more interesting and achieve greater effect if amusing anecdotes were thrown into the equation. Uh, he would have to employ a vocabulary of a nature more familiar in Isha satirical poetry. Um, and this is um, not, this is what I mentioned earlier with the word farce, that it started out as the stuffing, right? The comic interlude in between serious things. Well, in, in the ninth century, uh, we have uh, this Arabic writer um, doing the same thing. Uh, in the 10th century, the writer Ta Alibi recorded satirical poetry written by Arabic poets As Salami and Abdu Dulaf. Uh, Abdu Dulaf being a famous satirist. Uh, 10th century poet Jarir 
also satirized, and later Arabic poets um, have used the form. So it's actually a very, it's not a, a form that's ubiquitous. Uh, it is, you'll find it in Persian literature, uh, and you'll also find it in medieval Europe, uh, early modern Western. Um, you find it in painting, in the Elizabethans, in French, Romans, and more. You also find it in India. Indian and Hindi literature uh, counts, counts satire as one of its elements, and there are many writers that are working in that tradition, especially in northern India. Uh, in the Age of Enlightenment, uh, you have figures like Alexander Pope, Jonathan Swift, in Britain. Uh, Jonathan Swift, of course, very famous for his modest proposal and also Gulliver's Travels. Uh, John Dryden published an essay called A Discourse Concerning the Original and Progress of Satire that really helped fix the definition of satire in the literary world, if you want to seek it out. Um, Daniel Defoe, William Hogarth, Hogarth uh, political cartoons, um, <clears throat> Gilbert and Sullivan in their operas uh, used satire, Mark Twain in the United States definitely used satire, as did Ambrose Bierce, uh, a contemporary of Mark Twain, uh, who was very much a cynic and wrote many stories set during the American Civil War. And his most famous work was called The Devil's Dictionary in 1906. Uh, in the 20th century, of course, you have George Orwell. Uh, Dorothy Parker, H.L. Mencken, St. Clair Lewis, <coughs> Charlie Chaplin, especially if you look at his film, The Great Dictator. Uh, in the world of stand-up comedy, you have Lenny Bruce in the 1950s and Mort Saul, George Carlin, challenging taboos and conven conventional wisdom. The, the famous novel Catch-22 by Joseph Heller in 1961 falls onto the realm of satire. Um, Dr. Strangelove, which I mentioned before, uh, Satire on the Cold War, 1964. Um, obviously, how can I not mention Trey Parker and Matt Stone's South Park? Uh, that began in 1997 and relies almost exclusively on satire to address issues in American culture. Uh, their satirical web series, Honest Trailers. Uh, obviously, the self-proclaimed America's finest news source, The Onion, is a satirical news source. Stephen Colbert and The Colbert Report is doing American contemporary satire. SNL, as I've mentioned before, is doing it as well. Gary Trudeau, the cartoon comic strip writer, uh, famous for his comic strip Doonesbury, 
exemplary uh, satirist. The Simpsons, South Park, The Onion, uh, so many, so many satires around us. Curiously, like I said, uh, usually not given its due. Um, satire often, you know, targets the victim. Uh, it often is exemplified by bad taste um, in a kind of... Um, it's a transgressive form, so I think that it it doesn't play nice, in other words. Uh, and sometimes that's one of its conundrums, uh, uh, which is uh, problematic, but I think worth worth um, considering. Uh, there's so much to talk about in satire, but what I will say is that it's a very form very much with us. It occupies so many different literary areas. Um, and if it's a form that you're interested in writing in, uh, I urge you to read a lot of its satire, see a lot of satire, and not just SNL, uh, and not just read The Onion. Um, and really just, it, it takes a kind of very sharp point of view. I think in the world of theater particularly, um, uh, Jordan E. Cooper wrote a piece called Ain't No Mo um, that was done at the public theater. Um, it definitely is a satire, and that piece is built on the scaffold of George Wolfe's satire, The Colored Museum. Uh, so that's one of the most recent satires uh, alongside Christie's The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity to really hit the stage. Uh, Robert O'Hara's play Barbecue is very much a satire. Uh, one could argue that there are elements all of the elements, a lot of the elements of Jeremy O. Harris's play, Slave Play, is also a satire, especially in the first two acts. Um, the third act isn't, and I think that it's one of the things that makes that play sort of fascinating is that it shifts gears pretty strongly in the third half uh, and actually stops being a satire. Uh, it goes into this other much more uh, symbolic realm, uh, symbolism, uh, symbolic realm, and kind of moves away from the satirical. Uh, so yeah, it's a form that's alive and well. I'm sure, I'm sure that you can name, you know, a dozen or more satires at your fingertips. But those come to mind. Uh, recently. Um, on a formal level, I would say it's a, it's a form that is difficult to write in. I was thinking about Bruce Norris's work, who's somebody that consistently writes satires. His play, The Pain and the Itch, uh, Clyburn Park. Uh, it requires such um, well, if it's topical, that means it's going to date very quickly. So, so how how these satires, the ones that have stood the test of time, and I'm thinking of Dr. Strangelove as an example of that, 
But one of the reasons it holds up is because the world of it, the story world of it, is kind of like an alternate universe. Uh, it bears some resemblance to our world, but but it's not entirely other collective, collectively agreed on imaginary. So so I think it gets away with it and sort of survives. But it's a it's a form that kind of dates very quickly. Uh, has a short shelf life, which I think is one reason that uh, some writers, especially if they're doing topical satire, tend to shy away from it. Um, Anne Washburn's play Shipwreck, uh, you could argue, is a satire, political satire. I think satires of manners, uh, in which you would have comedy of manners as a form, uh, holds up better. Uh, I think because, well, human stuff around the quest for sex <laughs> and social structures that um, make that quest possible or impossible uh, tend to tend to reverberate across time and resonate across time in interesting ways and are not necessarily entirely reliant on topicality to make its points, which is why uh, the importance of being earnest, um, even though it's very much about Victorian England, somehow manages to transcend its uh, time period uh, and, its, and what it's satirizing, because what it's getting at, um, for the most part, I think, uh, is very much with us till today. Uh, so yeah, some thoughts on satire. I don't want to overburden you with it. Uh, I I think it's a it's a difficult form, it's a difficult form to write and to hold up. So in thinking about Chris Diaz's play, The Labyrinth of Chad Deity, it's a brilliant, brilliant play. Uh, written what, 10 years ago? 15 years ago now? My gosh, I hope not. Um, I mean, the world of professional wrestling has changed, but not that much from when that play was written. Uh, its targets, I think the targets in that play are topical. What's underneath that play uh, is more is more sustains itself across time. Now, one can argue that some of the language and some of the political discussions in that play have evolved. Um, and the play is kind of a lightning rod for a lot of arguments around representation and identity and the construction of identity. Um, but, I, but I think the, the trouble at the heart of that play remains the same. Uh, and maybe it's one of the reasons that play has lasted. Uh, but it's but it's dicey. It's dicey for for writers when you're working in that realm because you know, kind of know that the shelf life is going to be short. You know, maybe five years, maybe ten if you're lucky. If you're very lucky beyond that, but you, but you have to be very very lucky to pull it off. Um, so so I think that it's a as a broad form of drama, uh, unless you're playing your targets. 
kind of very strategically, it can be something that only has a limited uh, shelf life for you as a writer. So, so it's just a tricky form. Uh, but yeah, that's enough on satire and farce. Uh, and thanks for listening.